Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Come hungry. Come hungry. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you today for the amazing work that you do in our life. That when we come and we confess our hunger, when we confess our thirst, when we confess our weakness, you are there ready to fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know that in this room there are three different groups of people. Uh, In the first group, there are those who spend most of their time with non-Christians. You spend most of your waking hours with people that that don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe it's your family situation or your work environment. It might be the school that you attend. It might be the neighbors that surround you. And as a result of that, for one hour a week, you come into this place, into this room, and you are spiritually challenged. You're spiritually informed. But for the rest of the week, you find yourself with people who have a total different worldview than you do. There is a a second group in this room, those of us who spend most of our time with Christians. Maybe you work at a church. Maybe you work for a Christian organization. Maybe you're self-employed or you're retired. But most of your time is with Christians, people that pretty much think like you do. They act like you do. They, in some ways, look like you do. A while back, someone coined the phrase, rabbit hole Christians. Those are people who who run from one hole to another, trying to dive into the safety and security of the Christian community. John Stott described rabbit hole Christians like this. He said, it's when our only contact with the world are our mad, brave dashes from one Christian event to another. And some of you in here know what I'm talking about. You get up in the morning, you take your kids to Christian school, you go to work in the afternoon around lunchtime, co-workers invite you to lunch and you have some excuse, you say, no, I'm too busy, I have things to do, and you spend the lunch hour in your cubicle, your devotion, studying God's word, the end of the day comes, you jump in your car, you head to your accountability group, and then you drive home in the evening, you open the garage door, you wave at your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, and the garage door closes, you go into your house safe and sound. Some of us live our, our life like that. But there's this third group. And this third group is the group that I want to talk about today. This third group is the group that we want to move toward being. It's there that we find out that we can spend time with both non-Christians and Christians. And I hope this is the group that we're working toward because you gain something from both of these relationships. I know what I gain from my relationship with non-believers. It keeps my spiritual fervor. It reminds me that there are lost people in the world that I live. There are lost people that live next to me that need Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then you spend time with your Christian friends. That strengthens you. But it also convicts you. That you spend time with other people. You spend time in these rooms. And you recognize that you have a ways to go. You recognize that you need to grow more in Jesus. You see that there are areas in your life that really could use some improvement. Again, we're going to spend our time today talking about that third group. 
We've been in a series called Knowing Jesus. And something that I, I think that we've been learning is that Jesus loves to fill what's empty. It's his passion, and in fact, it's his purpose. In fact, the, 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 there, there's this constant theme of our weekend messages for this last several months. I don't know if you've picked this up. I don't know if you, you've, you've recognized this. But we began the year by studying the Beatitudes. We, we talked about things like being poor in spirit. We talked about what it means to mourn over our sin. We talked about what it means to have mercy. To be empty is the something that we talked about last week. We talked about empty to be filled. And today it's about just coming to Jesus hungry. Just, just coming to him and, and wanting everything that he can, can give you. The, everything that he wants to give you. It's interesting to me that when we are poor and thirsty or hungry, Jesus fills us. That's what he wants to do. He loves to fill that which is empty. And isn't it interesting where Jesus discusses our emptiness? Oftentimes it's around a table. It's where food and drink are available. It's around a banquet. It's around a meal that he discusses these things because the table represents the place where God meets our deepest needs. When you go through the Gospels, you'll see almost every time that Jesus is eating a meal with those folks that he loves and he cares for. He begins to talk about this spiritual want that we have. And he's doing that because he's the one that fills it. He's the one that takes care of that spiritual hunger. There's something about eating together that when you eat with others, relationships are formed, they're deepened. I talked to someone last night at Saturday on the patio. We have a a potluck that goes out there and people just come and we spend time together. We eat together and a, a woman walked up to me last night as we were closing our time together. and She goes, you know, I've been coming here for about a year and I've met more people in the last nine weeks by eating with them than, than I've met in the whole year. See, that's one of the reasons we do our pancake breakfast. That's why we have taco feeds. And someone again asks, well, don't you do anything else? No, you're doing it. You're getting together. You're forming relationships. You're learning about each other. You're investing in friendships. This is what Jesus came to talk to us about. And it's important that we understand how valuable it is for us to get around a table together. You see, in the culture Jesus grew up in, eating with someone was a sign of friendship. It was a sign of intimacy. It gave the other person value. Stories are told, memories are made, lives are enriched. And when you read through the Gospels, there is this consistent emphasis on the importance of what takes place around the table. You see, it's not in my nature just to sit down and eat. I've never, I've grown, I've never been that way. And I know it's just it's weird. But, but it's not in my nature. I used to think when I was younger and I had things to do, places to go, I used to think that eating was kind of an inconvenience. And I would just think, oh, man, I, I don't have time to eat. I, I have things to do. I have places to go. The one who taught me the value of the table was my wife. It was a, a while after we were married, and she said, you just need to sit down and We need to look at each other, and we need to get to know each other around the table. It's where I've found out the deepest needs of my children are around the table. It's where their life just kind of comes up. It's the topic of discussion. It's around the table. 
I want you to do this. I want you, if you have your Bibles, take your Bibles out. There's some Bibles in front of you as well. And turn to Matthew chapter 9. That's Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to read verses 9 through 13 together. And again, today we're going to look at a, a meal where Matthew, Matthew teaches us how to be that third group. How we can have relationships with both non-Christians and Christians alike. Intentionally spending time with both Christ followers and those that are far away from Christ. Now here's the setting at the beginning of Matthew chapter 9. Jesus has just healed a paralyzed man. He heals them and he says something that rocks the world of the religious community. He says, go and let your sins be forgiven. And they said, how can he forgive people of their sins? And then Jesus goes into the passion of his heart, the purpose he came. He begins to tell people he came for those that are hungry. He came for those that are thirsty. He came for those that are sick. And and he begins to share and unfold this manifest of who he really is. And then Matthew 9 begins like this. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax office. And And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and he followed him. And now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and they sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here it is, a tax collector following Jesus. This just rocked the world of the Pharisees because they never really mixed. They never spent time together. In fact, tax collectors were the despised of the despised. And there were reasons for that. Back in the day of Christ, tax collectors worked for Herod. The Jews hated anyone who worked for the Roman government. They hated anyone who worked for King Herod. They were considered parasites. They just leached off the community. And while they did that, they became wealthy themselves. They profited off the poor. They were greedy. They extorted people for money. And oftentimes they were wealthy because of that. Matthew is the author of this gospel, and I want you to notice something with me. He uses the name Matthew when he describes himself. But when you go to the gospel of Luke, chapter 5, Luke gives Matthew another name. And sometimes it's confusing when you're reading the Bible. Is this Matthew? Is this Levi? Who is this? But Luke gives the name Levi when he's telling almost this same story. And you wonder what's happening here. You wonder what's taking place. It's important we notice this little detail. Because Levi was the name that Matthew's parents had given him. And it's kind of like us. We, we grow up and, and we gain nicknames. We have other names that aren't really our, our surname. They're not our given name. And so Matthew, and we don't know where this happened, he attributed the name Matthew to himself. He, he went away from the name Levi. And it probably has to do with the expectations of his parents. Because names meant a lot back then. 
Names meant everything. And if, if you know the scripture, what you understand is that name Levi meant something. There was a purpose in naming their son Levi. They had hopes. They had dreams for this young boy. They wanted him to grow up to either be a priest or a rabbi. At the, at the top end of the, of the Jewish social ladder of people who were respected, people who were admired, those were the priests, those were the teachers, those were the rabbis. And then what happens to Matthew? Matthew takes on this other profession of tax collecting, a parasite. I can imagine that every time he encountered someone with the name Levi, it just drove in further in his heart that he was a disappointment to his parents, that he didn't add up, that he really wasn't much in the eyes of the family. So he calls himself Matthew when his given name was Levi. I think some of us have changed our names as well. We, we might not say it on the outside, but we don't, we don't see ourselves. We don't think of ourselves as the name given to us. We might put names there like loser or failure or addict, some other name. We might not put it on the, the lips of our mouth, but man, it's the way we think of ourselves. This is exactly how Matthew thought of himself. And now he's collecting taxes. And Jesus comes along, and what does he say? He says, follow me, you, taking the taxes, follow me. And I'm wondering if, if Matthew had heard the story before that Jesus taught where he said you can't serve God and man at the same time. You can't have two masters in here. Matthew has a handful of shekels, and he hears Jesus say to him, follow me. And he drops the shekels. And from that day forward, he was known as a Christ follower. That was the day he decided to be a Christ follower. He was chosen by Jesus. Then what does Matthew do? Matthew goes on, and in the NIV, it says that he throws a party the same story that we just read, that he throws a party and he invites all of these different guests who come. I mean, he's really mixing up the crowd. He's bringing a lot of people into his home. He probably had the means to do that. He probably had the servants to serve the people, whatever they wanted. He has guests who did not follow Christ and he has guests who do follow Christ. And so he mixes the two groups and he invites people from group one and group two, and Matthew frustrates the, the Pharisees because you would never mix these groups together. You would never do that. And it, and it really got the Pharisees uptight. And look at verses 10 and 11 again. It says this in verses 10 and 11. It says that, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Oh, my goodness. What is he doing? He's declaring something. In fact, I love what he does here. He steps up, and under the scrutiny of the Pharisees, he stands in the gap uh, between the Pharisees and Matthew. You see, during that time, if you were a rabbi, if you were a teacher... You took responsibility for the things that came your disciples' way. And that's exactly what Jesus does. I don't even know who that question is really pointed to. It doesn't tell us. I'm wondering if it was pointed to to Matthew. 
if they ask Matthew that question. But Jesus steps in and he says, let me tell you something, guys. You need to know something about why I'm here. So he takes this new disciple and he, he brings him along. He keeps him. He stands between him and that religious community. So in essence, Matthew gives three different invitations. And I want to go over those three invitations with you this morning. Invitation number one is to the seekers and the unbelievers. Who are these people? Who are these people that Matthew hung around with? For Matthew, it was really his co-workers, the tax collectors. This was the group of friends and cronies that he spent time with. These are the people he's used to relating to. And so he invites them. He invites them to have a meal with Jesus. And then you have to ask the question, who are these people today? Who are those that are seeking? Who are those that are unbelievers? Maybe it's the college student who left, went, took his freshman year, and in his freshman year he had comparative religion, and the summer after his freshman year he's questioning his existence. She's asking, is there really a God? Does God really care for me? Maybe it's the people who once followed Christ. Maybe it's those folks that were brought up in church and they went to Sunday school and they were diligent. They were there every weekend. But something in life, there was a, there was a tragedy, there was a train wreck, there was a hardship that they faced and they made a decision not to follow Christ anymore. And years have gone by. Maybe those are those seekers and unbelievers in our community today. Maybe it's the old high school friends that you cross paths with on Facebook and you knew they were once a believer, but you've noticed they've changed their religious status from Christian to agnostic. I hope that what's happening right now is that you're thinking of names. Thinking of names of people that you're trying to get close to. I know people that have spent years Spending time with their non-believer friends, with their seeking friends. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they are loyal friends. They come to these friendships with love. They come to these friendships with good news. I'm wondering, do you have friends like that? Or do we just encounter people and we see maybe they're not going to follow Jesus right away. We don't have the time. And so we move on to other relationships when in fact there's a hunger, there's a thirst in their lives to know Jesus. You know, I think prior to this encounter between Matthew and Jesus, the one that we read here in the Gospels, Jesus had already developed a friendship with Matthew. It says that they were in Capernaum. This was the home base of Jesus. He, he spent much of his time right there, probably living in Peter's house with a, an extended family. And so he was there. They had to catch eyes every now and again. Matthew, feeling like he couldn't really go into the center of the crowd, I would imagine stood on the edge, stood on the fringe. He was just seeking. He was an unbeliever. He was hungry. But he listened to the words of Jesus. And he was drawn in. And Jesus could see that emptiness. Jesus could see that hunger. Jesus could see that thirst. He just had eyes that saw people like that. And it was on this day that he walks by him and he says, Matthew, follow me. Follow me. You, you see, there are so many, so many folks that have 
come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ because of relationship. Because maybe a relationship with you, a relationship with friends and family members. I'd gone to a Promise Keeper event a long time ago. It was in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, in, the, uh, in the event, one of the main services, the guest speaker stood up and he said, how many of you out there have come to Christ through a big Christian event in a large crowd, a group of people? Maybe it was a, a, a Billy Graham crusade. Maybe it was a Luis Palau crusade. They're great places to go to hear the gospel. I want all of those who, who have received Christ in one of these, these large events, I want you to stand up. There were 60,000 men there. And about 2,000 men stood up. And then he changed the question. He says, now, I want those to stand up that have been influenced in the gospel. You, you receive Christ because of a, a faithful father, a faithful friend, a faithful coach. Just shared the good news with you. And it was in that relationship that you found Christ. 58,000 men stood up and said, that's me. You make a difference. The relationship that you have with those people around you make a difference. Now Matthew gives a second invitation. It's to the outcast and overlooked. In Jesus' days, it was the tax collectors. It was the prostitutes. And again, we ask the question, who are the outcasts today? Who are those that are overlooked today? Maybe it's the poor. The disadvantage, that, that our eyes go over the top of them, that we don't see them like we ought to see them. We don't see them like Christ sees them. Or maybe it's the wealthy. You see, sometimes we don't think the wealthy need Christ. We, we look at them and we think, well, they've got everything. What else could they need? What, 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 what other things do they, they really need? I mean, I, I'm not, I don't know if I can really help them. I don't, I don't know. They're people of resource. But listen, both the poor and wealthy have a hunger for Jesus. There's an emptiness. An emptiness that Jesus is meant to fill. You know, sometimes the outcast is the one who doesn't know the acceptable church behavior. They don't know the acceptable language that we get used to in our community. The way we talk. The way we speak. Two weeks ago, at Saturday on the patio, a young boy, nine years old, walked up to me. And he said, sir, I have a question. I want to know, is God and Jesus the same person? Or is God and Jesus different people? What I found out is that evening was the first time he had ever been in church and heard about Jesus, ever. Wow. He had never heard the gospel before. He had never heard the story of Jesus before. And here he hears the story of Jesus. And there are people in our churches today that that might be a little awkward. They might not know the right things to say. I remember praying for a man who who was desperate for Jesus. And and we prayed together and he he received Christ. And and the first thing that came out of his mouth was, me and Jesus are going to kick ass on the devil. That's the first thing he said. And I just looked and I said, yes, probably what's going to happen. How many of that ruffled your feathers? Did it a little bit? I mean, got you all kind of in a bunch. And I said, yeah, that's what we're going to do. 
That's what we're going to do. No one has taken the time to show them God's word or has discipled them in the way of Jesus. There are people around you that just haven't been discipled that way. They just don't know. They, they don't know. I remember one of my first ministry assignments, I was a youth pastor in Southern Oregon. And I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought, you know, the best way I probably could get to know the kids is just hang out with them. So I went to the uh, vice principal to see if I could get permission to come on campus. Vice principals are tough guys, man. They're there because they, 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 they're there for punishment reasons. I don't know. I, but they're, they're tough. So I sat across the table from this guy, and, and I told him, I said, I just want to come on campus. I want to get to know the kids, and, and I, I'm not here to proselytize. I just want to get to know them. So I went through this big spiel, and I was all nervous and anxious, and he just stared at me like vice principals. But he, you know, some of you are looking at me with a, you don't even know. I know what vice, I've been in a lot of vice principals' offices before. <laughs> and he's just, he just staring at me. I don't know what he's going to say. I'm thinking he's going to kick me out of the office. He stands up. He reaches out his hand. And he says, we've been waiting for someone like you. And I said, really? I was totally surprised. He said, I just accepted Jesus Christ six weeks ago. And I've been wondering how we're going to do this. He says, so when you come on campus, you're welcome to. And I said, listen, I won't say anything and they, until they ask me why I'm here. So I was... a there for about four, five, six weeks, and someone finally came and said, hey, why are you here? And I'm going to tell you, that was one of the scariest moments in my life because the one that was asking that was the number one drug dealer of that community. He came up to me, and it wasn't like, why are you here? He said, why are you here? He thought I was cutting in on his action, man. He goes, I want to know why you're here. Pulled him aside. I said, you want me to tell you? He goes, yeah. I told him about Jesus. He stood there and he looked at me and he goes, can I know him? Can can I know him? I said, yes. Toughest guy in the community. Had a twin brother. Double trouble. (laughs) After I prayed with him and we prayed together, he looked at me and goes, so can I do what you just did? I said, you mean lead people to Christ? Yeah, can I do that? I said, yeah. He goes, okay, I'm going to go bust them up, man. I'm going to go beat them up until they know Jesus. I said, no, 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 no. That's not the way that works. He just needed someone to kind of disciple him through a process, didn't he? Or we're going to have bruised new believers. <laughs> beat up new believers. Today, he's, a, he's, he's an elder in the church in Southern Oregon. Listen, never be surprised when a non-Christian acts like a non-Christian. Sometimes we just look appalled. Folks, relax. Non-Christians act like non-Christians. By the way, non-Christian movies, they'll be non-Christian. We go and we go, oh, what? listen, don't go. But if you go, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. We have a bunch of kids getting together next week. Continue to pray. Thank you for praying for them. The agape kids. Many of them don't know Christ. Some of them never heard the good news. Pray for them. Pray for them. Joe Aldrich said this, Remember, non-believers are not the enemy. They are the victims of the enemy. You know what should astound us? What should astound us is when a mature believer acts like a baby Christian. Now that's what should astound us. And then the last invitation, invitation three, is this. It's to the discouraged and downcast. 
I love what Jesus says. He, he declares his mission here. And he, and, he, and he says this. When Jesus heard that, he, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus tells them it's not the healthy. It's the sick that need a doctor. It's the sick of spirit that that need the help. Listen, we don't do this. I don't, maybe some of you do this. I know I don't do this. I don't just call my doctor to chit chat. You know, hey, I just thought I'd call you today, see how you're doing. I'm doing good. Well, why are you calling me? The doctor would probably ask me. We call the doctor when we are sick, when we need help. I never call the doctor just to talk with him. And here Jesus is saying, listen, listen, I've, came, I've come for the sick. And, and, and if you're sick in spirit, if you're discouraged, if you're downcast, you can be sure That the one that heals the sick will heal you. That he'll fill you. That he'll touch you. You just just need to come to him and do what every patient does. You you go to the doctor and you tell them what's wrong with you. You sit in the doctor's office. Why is it so hard for us to do spiritually? Why? It's amazing. That's what confession is for. We we go to our doctor and we say, "Eh, Doctor, man, I'm... (laughs) I'm sick. Where are you sick? Where do you hurt? You know, they, uh, and, and move, and uh, they did want to find out. You just tell them where you're sick. I heard right here, Doc. I heard right here is where I'm sick. When we go to Jesus, we hold that stuff back. Well, I'm, I'm kind of doing okay. Not really that sick. What you need to do is go to him and say, Jesus, you're the doctor. I'm sick. And I need help. And this is where I am sick. I confess my sickness to you. Because you came to heal me. You came to heal me. Can I give you a challenge this morning before we leave? I want to challenge you to be a Matthew. To be a Matthew. Whether you're in group one or two, I want to challenge you to move to group three. If you're in group one and you spend most of your time with non-believers, I want to challenge you to be in a small group. I want to challenge you to be in a Bible study. I want to challenge you to go to Genesis. I want to challenge you to go to 33. I want to challenge you. There are so many opportunities. The table is set. And here it is. If it's a priority in your life, you will make time. You will make time. If you're in group two and you spend most of your time with Christians, I want to challenge you to be salt and light to the unbeliever. I want to challenge you to have relationship with people who don't know Christ, who think different than you, that have a different worldview than you have. I want you to spend time with them. The challenge is there. Be a Matthew. Move from group one and two to group three. And look around. There's an invitation here that Matthew gives us to seekers and unbelievers, to the outcast or overlooked, to the discouraged and the downcast. The Bible says that Jesus came, not for those that are healthy, but for those that confess their sickness. And then we experience his healing power.
Come hungry to Jesus and be fed. Would you bow your head with me? Today I am. I'm wondering if there are people here that are in that, that first group that Matthew so generously invited to have a party. He invited his friends. He invited family members. He invited co-workers. And if you're here and you're, you're a seeker, you're an unbeliever, you're just saying, I, man, I, I don't know what to do. Don't know where to go. I kind of feel like the roadrunner I saw just a, a few minutes ago. I just keep trying to do the same thing, hoping it gets better and it doesn't get any better. The Bible says that Jesus came just for you. He came for you. To feed you. To quench your thirst. To mend you, to heal you. That, that is the purpose of Christ's salvation. And if you're here today and you've never received that first invitation as a seeker, an unbeliever, to know Christ, in a moment I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand. I'm not going to call you out. I won't embarrass you. But in a moment I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. What I'd like to do before then is let's, let's pray together. And we're going to pray the prayer, a prayer of salvation. Everyone in this room pray this together. And at the end of the prayer, for those that prayed this prayer, to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. I just want you right where you are to lift your hand. The prayer goes like this. Would you follow me, dear Jesus? I come to you sick. I confess my sickness. I confess my hunger, my emptiness, my weakness, my brokenness. I confess it. I don't want to hide it anymore. I don't want to keep it from you anymore. I need you to save me. So today I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. I receive the gift of eternal life. I'm reminded of your scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son That whoever believes in him would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.